Hello my friends, today we're talking to Rock, the CVP global market leader at Hexaware. And we discuss Rock's hiring strategy and Hexaware's program for training talented leaders. Why and how we need to be building explainability into AI. And how to establish yourself as a leader when entering a new organization. All of this right here, right now, on the Modern CTO Podcast. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. Can you share with me a little bit, how'd you first get into technology? So a little little roundabout way. Uh, I was in technology, then I moved out of technology, and then I came back to technology. So I, I you know, did my undergraduate from one of the premier institutes in India. It's called the Indian Institute of Technology, IIT. Very competitive entrance exam. You know, people, you know, put in a lot, a lot of effort to get into it. Very small entry ratio. Uh, you know, so less than 1% of people who apply actually get in. Wow. So pretty competitive. So I, I managed to get in because I was good at math and science and all the right things when you're growing up. I, a couple of years into it, I realized, look, I actually interested in a whole lot of other things outside of my engineering discipline, right? I was interested in people. I was interested in management and business and doing cultural programs and debating and all kinds of stuff, right? So I said, listen, maybe I should get into MBA after this. So I uh, then went on to do my MBA uh, from uh, another premier institute called IIM, Indian Institute of Management, Kolkata. And then I went into actually a sales and you know business career uh, with a consumer product company. It was a paints company. My initial job was a in a, with a, in a paints company. Then I moved back to technology because you know late '90s. So I'm dating myself here, right? Late <laughs> '90s is when uh, you know the telecom sector was booming in India, and I'm talking about India right now. And some of these uh, telecom majors had come in, wireless technology was coming in, cellular technology. I joined Nokia. Okay? Oh, cool. When they were just setting up a shop in India. And that was sort of getting back into technology. But the real technology services, the way we talk about, was after that, when I joined Infosys. So that's when the whole internet way was happening, Y2K was happening. You're probably familiar with the term Y2K, right? The whole, all the systems in the world were supposed to come crashing down on <laughs> yep. December 31st, 31st, 1999, because they had not been, you know, the, the year had not been coded correctly, right? So that led to a boom in technology spending. I joined Infosys. I came to the US as part of that. And since then, I've been part of the technology waves, right from the dot-com boom and bust, internet, mobile, now, of course, a uh, whole lot of emerging technologies and so on, but with a business mindset. So Yeah, that's really interesting. I'm, so I'm sure you kind of had a, a, an interesting look at the dot-com boom and bust, uh, being able to have the business perspective of like, wow, this seems like a lot of companies are overvalued. Yes. <laughs> and um, you can probably of, say that for companies now as well. A lot of companies seem to be overvalued now too. Yeah, yeah. I, I keep hearing the term like fake money around um, like VC firms borrowing against companies that 
their value is debatable and using that money to fund other companies to create also debatable value. It's really a crazy time. It is. It is. But at least there is a big difference. In the early stages of dot-com boom, none of these companies, pet.com and webvan.com and all had no revenue. They were only being valued on eyeballs. I think the situation is a little different. I think most of the companies right now nowadays which are getting valued have some revenues, some traction, but still the valuations are, I think, getting to that insane level. Let's see what happens <laughs> in rest of this month. The market has already been very choppy. Let's see what happens. Well, how did you uh, get involved with Hexaware? How did you find your way to where you're at today? So Hexaware, uh, very interesting uh, uh, development, right? I was with Capgemini before this. Uh, for six years and prior to that with Infosys. So again, solid, big, big global multinationals. Hexaware represents a different breed of company, right? It's a smaller company. It's a it's a David. Uh, we call it a digital David in the field of Goliaths. I have <laughs> always loved challenges. I have always loved turnaround situations, situations where I can create an impact, right? When I joined Infosys, now it's like a $10 billion company, but I joined it first when it was 250 million. Small, relatively 2,500 people. And I was with them till it grew to a 7 billion market cap, uh, 7 billion revenue actually, a much wow. higher market cap. Capgemini, when I joined them, not a well-known entity in the US, North America, I led the transformation efforts. So I've always been attracted to challenges, situations where there is a growth opportunity, right? And I, I tend to joke that uh, wherever I have joined, the market valuation and the brand equity of the company has grown. <laughs> so that's I'm a trying to track. say, okay, that's a cause and effect. I'll I'll take credit for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's um, <laughs> that just kind of reminded me of um, totally unrelated, but a funny statistic on the uh, topic of correlation, not always being causation. Obviously, your career, it is a cause and effect. Um, (laughs) But there's this one stat that's like, ice cream sales are directly correlated with crime rates. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's just because it happens in the summertime when kids are out of school causing trouble and eating ice cream. Right, Um, (laughs) right, right. But um, anyway, so we we already did an episode with your colleague Biju a little while Mm -hmm. ago. Um, and he taught me a lot about digital transformation. It was really cool. But for those that didn't listen to that episode, can you give like the overview of what Hexaware does? Yes. Um, so let me bring you a little historical perspective on Hexaware and then where we are from a strategy. And then weave in the digital transformation, right? Sounds so good. This is what you're seeing now is Hexaware 3.0. Okay. Hexaware has been a company which has been around for close to 30 years now. But for the first, I would say, 22, 23 years, it was focused on regular services, okay? Technology services with some specialization, people soft, some enterprise packages, testing, and so on. Then we had the new leadership come in, our new CEO, Keech, as well as some of the in, uh, private equity investment from Bering. And I would say we moved into 2.0. And the 2.0 was based on understanding some key emerging technology trends like automation and the whole tsunami, which was going to come for automation across different parts of the enterprise. So we got ahead of the wave. We didn't want to get drenched and drown in it, right? So we got ahead of the wave. We started investing way back in 2014-15 on capabilities and 
hiring and uh, solutions along that. And then uh, we picked up cloud as well, right? So we understood that there was a huge trend towards cloud and we needed to have the right kind of alliance partnerships with Microsoft and so on and have our capability. So I would call that as Hexaware 2.0 focused on solutions, right? Solutions on automation, solutions on cloud. And we did have a missing piece, which we tried to build, which was customer experience, right? I mean, all these is ultimately for the benefit of users and consumers and customers, and we need to give them the right experience. So we created a customer experience transformation team organically, but we also went and then bought a company called Mobiquity. Uh, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's into the design, uh, you know, space, and uh, it also does cloud native engineering. So it is a very unique kind of a asset that we acquired, and now it forms part of our customer experience pillar. So that was the third set of solutions. Early this year, we restructured ourselves, and now we've got a sort of a sharper focus on what our future is going to be looking like, and that's around platforms. And I would call that as 3.0, Hexaware 3.0. So Hexaware 1.0 services, 2.0 solutions, 3.0 platforms. And that platform is based on a cloud migration platform we have called Amaze, customer experience platform, which is Mobiquity. And we have an automation platform which works across the enterprise, which is called Tenzai. And this is aligning with whatever our customers are doing. They are also trying to become product and platform companies, right? Now, the way we have structured this, obviously, these are the platforms, but we have some service lines which are there to provide transformation capabilities. And Biju and I lead one of them, which is called Digital Core Transformation, which is helping enterprise modernize, helping them become more cutting edge in terms of integration, enterprise architecture, better data and data modernization, essentially helping them leverage all the new emerging technologies and architecture. Cool. So in the digital core transformation, you're using all three platforms to help companies like transform across the board? Yes. Although these platforms can be used independently and there are service lines which are focused on them, but you can look at digital core transformation as bringing a whole bunch of it together for enterprise transformation, especially for the internal uh, internal kind of uh, employees and users. That's really cool. So is that where you spend most of your time today? So I actually wear three hats. One of them is leading the service line, which is, as I said, relatively new. We restructured ourselves this year. I also lead a vertical business unit for Hexaware, which is uh, focused on high-tech platforms and professional services. So these are companies like the big four firms, these are companies like the high-tech platform firms on the West Coast. So we have a business unit focused on these companies as a domain. And uh, we call it the trust-based industries and the technology-based industries. right? And we see a lot of symbios uh, symbiotic relationship between trust and technology. And the third hat I wear is leading our management training program globally. So we hire fresh MBA graduates from tier one and tier two schools around the world. And we give them a sort of a head start in becoming future leaders of the company. That's really cool. I, so I, one thing I wanted to dig into there, you mentioned the trust-based and mm -hmm. technology-based. Can you expand? What does that mean? Sure. Yeah. So there is a... So I think the there are authors and speakers who have gone on record to say that 
the currency of the modern economy is trust. And I have a point of view on it. Uh, the point of view I have is there are three ways in which three waves of trust which have evolved. So think back 100, 200 years ago, agrarian economy, small communities, and you used to trust the local doctor or the local you know, uh, person who had the money to lend. They would take the decisions and you would say, yes, I mean, we trust this chief or we trust this person. So it was more people-based trust. Then came the modern era in which trust moved to institutions like banks or governments, even media, right? I mean, you are doing a podcast, but think about what used to happen 20, 30 years ago. There used to be the centralized news organizations, studios, you know, and, and uh, you know, the news, news uh, outlets, and they used to control what would be disseminated. So that was the institutional phase of the trust. With technology, that whole trust aspect has become disintermediated in almost every industry, every part of life. You take banking and financial. You don't necessarily now go to one of those big banks. You have a lot of fintechs and a lot of ways to make payments and, and invest and so on. Look at uh, media. I mean, podcast is a great example. You and I can sit and chat and reach thousands or millions of listeners, right? It's, it, you don't have to go to a central media organization. Technology is uh, enabling that. And I feel that that's really happening everywhere. Now, there is a reverse part to it, which is how much can you trust this technology, right? Which is impacting all us. And how much can you trust the social media platforms? Facebook was down yesterday, like Facebook and WhatsApp were down for six hours yesterday, right? Yeah. So you had a lot of business tied up in that. And if you trusted in that technology of social media platform, yesterday you couldn't do any business because of that. Yeah, that was pretty crazy. I couldn't believe how long it lasted. Like usually with at such a big company like that, they're able to get back on their feet pretty quickly. Yeah, even I'm, I'm surprised that they took so long. Yep. Some, some people are going to lose their jobs if that's Facebook. Yeah. well uh, that actually makes me think of um a a while ago we had on this guy named tony from the quantum computing division at honeywell Mm -hmm. um and i I don't know if you remember but they made some headlines that they came out with the fastest quantum computer in the world at the time which we were very lucky to interview him like the day after they announced that and it was really cool but um he was talking about how we're in like the building trust phase with Mm -hmm. quantum computing because quantum computers eventually are going to be used to solve problems that are impossible to solve on any other machine. And when we get there, we're going to have to trust that the answer is right. Um, So basically what they're doing with quantum computers now is just running really complex problems that can also be run on classical computers so that they can check their work and make sure that the success rate is 100% and that nothing's going wrong in the computation because that can have really drastic effects if uh, we're running like these huge problems through the machines and trusting the answer and it ends up not yeah. being right. Yeah, it was just a, kind of an interesting I I think I think it's central. It's central. It's not just a sidelight. Trusting, being able to trust new technology is going to be central, right? And forget going towards quantum computing right now. That's still in the future. Yeah. Even today, AI algorithms, algorithms which go into artificial intelligence tools, are making a lot of decisions. Yeah. 
which are opaque to people. There is a whole focus on something called explainable AI. Which which country are you based out of, Adam? I'm in the U.S. I'm in Orlando, US. Florida. Okay, so in UK, they have come out with a guideline where any AI-based decision has to be explained if it impacts a human being. So let's say your loan application gets denied because of an AI engine. You should be able to challenge it and have an explanation just like you do in a pre-AI situation, right? Now, for certain basic situations, maybe it's still easy. But there are cases, and even in the gaming industry, there is this lovely Netflix documentary called AlphaGo. Uh, I don't know if you've uh, heard about it. So there is this company which uh, Google acquired. I think it's called Deep Blue in UK. They, they created this chess program initially, and then they moved on to a much higher level of complexity with uh, working on a game called Go. It's a South Korean game, and it involves white and black pieces on a big grid. Okay, And you have to sort of place these pieces one by one so that you can carve out territories and areas and block your opponent. Chess is X level of complexity. This is probably X raised to X level of complexity. Wow. More open-ended. And it needs a lot of machine learning and AI to train a machine to do it. So they had this machine gain expertise playing against the best players. And at some point in time, it's reached a stage where it can actually make moves which none of the experts sitting around can fathom, figure out as players why the machine did that move. But still doing the move because it's now learned that that's probably a good move because it's thought through millions and trillions of combinations in the future. Now, if you cannot explain that and it helps you win, how can you explain multiple other decisions an AI engine could take? Uh, it could be in the field of crime enforcement or detection, law enforcement. It could be in the field of healthcare diagnostics, cancerous cells. You know, it could be in the field of facial recognition. There are so many cases. How do you trust technology like that? And that's going to be the central part of the evolution of technology in the future. I mean, that's it's really good to hear that uh, at least there's some guidelines getting passed requiring it for those decisions that affect humans. Because I know there's been like arrests made on facial yep. recognition yep. that was wrong. So, but, but like aside from just like guidelines, I guess from a technical perspective, what's the solution here? So I think explainable AI has a component where you have an engine mimicking the AI engine, which logs all the steps which are being taken. So somebody needs to interpret it. But I think there is another, another angle opening up. And I feel that's based on blockchains, right? In a way, blockchain is the ultimate virtual trust platform. It's moving away from a centralized trust to a distributed trust, right? Where every part of the node has the same set of transactions, you know what has been coded or what has been transacted. Nobody can change it. It's open, it's accessible, and then you can layer on top of it. I think some part will be based on the explainable AI and ethics, right? Some part will be based on using technologies like blockchain, distributed uh, computing, and building laws and ethical guidelines on top of it. 
That's really interesting. I hadn't thought of that before because I mean, I'm a bit of a blockchain nerd in that I'm just really interested in it, uh, yes. following the technology and stuff. Yes, yeah, <laughs> yes. But yeah. yeah, that's that's really interesting. Thinking of blockchain in terms of explainable AI, so it would be kind of like using the blockchain to uh, keep track of those logs of all the decisions that are made along the way to, to simplify things. Exactly. It's like a platform for distributed trust, right? So whether it is transactions, whether it is programs, whether it is models, and you know, if you can use something like that, right, which is a distributed ledger where everybody has a say in what's there, it's like open source code, but yeah, open yeah, source open source decisions, right? Open source decisions are logic. So uh, I I want to bring it back to Hexware because I know you mentioned we started on talking about this trust because you said you work on it at at work. Yeah. Um, so what are what are you actually doing um, in this field day to day? So we work with trust based in, uh, companies, right? So we work with firms which are in the business of ensuring trust for their customers, companies in the audit business, companies in the accounting business, companies in the advisory space, right? They themselves call themselves the trust-based organizations. And we help them with technology challenges and projects, which helps improve trust for their customers, right? Creating more automation, let's say, in their audit process, uh, helping migrate some of their platforms to the cloud creating more robust AI ML engines so that they can compute things like tax liability or a deal valuation, uh, you know, which require intensive computing and which require you to refer to previous data and which require you to understand unstructured data, right? So we are actually helping them with some of these impact of using emerging technologies in their business, right? Whether it is, so there, there, are, there are four parts to that, to any such business, which I think are going to expand to other domains, there is an aspect of accessing data from different sources. And how do you make sure that, you know, you can collect the right data, right sources, different kinds of data and, and store it or categorize it. Two is the analytical part. How do you analyze this data, right? Three is how do you make judgments and decisions based on this, right? What processing models you use, what algorithms, uh, AI, ML, and so on. And then the fourth is actual actions, right? Which involve interacting with other ecosystem players, whether it is banks, regulators, government, consumers, third-party vendors, APIs and interfaces and dashboards, all that become important, right? And there is technology in every part of this. Emerging and so technology. And so you guys are helping out on like every level of that? Almost all of these, right? Whether it wow. is data you know collecting data and automating that data collection creating new data models whether it is in better analytics it's in better user interface for consumers and dashboards and so on better processing engines so we we work on almost all of these projects and leverage uh, some of these platforms that we call call as emerging technologies that's really cool. I'm sorry, this just like popped into my head because recently we've done a couple episodes with a company called Cradle Point, which on the topic of emerging technologies, they're leveraging um, cellular to offer like enterprise grade network connections over cellular. And that's like obviously 5G coming 
mainstream is being a really big part of that. And I remember the guest I spoke to, his name's Manish, was saying that he was able to like travel across the country with one of their routers and host a webinar of like mm-hmm. a thousand people from a national park. Um, cause that's where he wanted to be and yeah. he had to do the webinar and that was yeah. really cool. But anyway, it just seems like a cool technology to especially help companies provide like secure connections as remote becomes more mainstream, like remote work. And I'm curious, what are some ways you think the workplace is going to like change forever as a remote, as a result of the remote work becoming more mainstream? Yeah. And, and how does it impact our business model? Right. I mean, yeah. You know, uh, I, ever since COVID, right, which has changed the world completely, the way we understood, and things are not going to go back to where they, the way they were before, right? Nobody is going to come to office, especially in white-collar jobs, five days a week. I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, there will be hybrid work arrangements. But with that comes different sets of challenges, and technology will play a role in that. Uh, even right now, right, last one and a half years, hiring has gone up. Everybody is hiring like crazy. Resignations have gone up. People are leaving like crazy, right? It's called the great resignation wave. Keeping people motivated, engaged, measure their performance in a remote setting all involves technology, right? Uh, when you onboard someone, if, you, if that person doesn't come to office, how do you do a good onboarding? How do you get that person up to speed? When that person is working with team members, how does the collaboration happen? How does that person become an effective contributing member? Uh, when that person leaves, you know, how do you sort of have the exit ramp, right? And how do you measure performance in this situation? How do you, especially there are certain roles and jobs which also require privacy and security, right? A lot of our business process services industry which is remote transactions and remote processing of, let's say, you know, credit card details or, you know, billing data and claims processing and so on. They require access to private information, and you, in a in a in a setting like working in a single office, it's more easily affected because you can put in place physical controls and network controls to make sure there is no unauthorized copying of data, no, no, you know, divulging of trade secrets and so on. But how do you do that when people are working from home? What technology tools can you use? So we have put in place certain models, uh, you know, whether it's the cameras in the laptops, whether there is a mechanism to sense whether there is a mobile phone nearby or another screen, you know, how, how active the person is on the screen or is there a, you know, lull and if you can lock that screen, you know, if you think there is unauthorized access and, uh, you know, different, so the different ways of using technology to sustain this model. I feel we will be in a hybrid work model, uh, which is going to be great for people from a family perspective and being able to have balanced lives. Uh, and everybody will have to retool their business models. All these big campuses may become more satellite offices, right? People don't want to be commuting one, one and a half hours to go to a big office when they can you know, save that time and work out of home or nearby. But they still want to be with people. They want to be with their team colleagues and they want to have their coffee breaks and want to have those chance conversations. Not everything can be scripted. So they, I think, I think they want to, we would need to balance all these aspects out. Yeah, definitely. I think on the topic of how people are saving so much time from their commutes, that was a big part of why 
when we went to remote work, a lot of people were worried that productivity would go down as people aren't in the office. But it turns out when you get to get an extra hour of sleep, you you actually can be a lot more productive. Um, and and that, that was like a big contributor to a lot of the studies that were done throughout the pandemic of that a lot of that ended up finding that productivity actually went up with remote work, which I or you was can you can use that extra hour to watch some more TV or play some video games or <laughs> that's true. Just relax in whatever way you you yeah. like. I prefer sleeping, but yeah, um, to each of their own. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I want to hear about your uh, leadership training program that you spoke about briefly at the beginning of the interview. Um, so. What's different about this hiring and training program uh, in comparison to like other companies that are also that also do some kind of leadership development leadership stuff? Definitely. Yeah, I think you know the fact that you can hire young, bright, ambitious talent and give them a career pathway. First of all, by itself, I think it's a great service, right? To to be able to mentor young talent people who are just stepping into the workforce, who have the intellect, who have the ambition to make a change. The world is changing into the millennials and the Zoomers sort of stepping into leadership roles. So I think every company needs to hire and promote such such people. What we are trying to do is to give them an environment where they learn quickly and they are able to they are get exposed to different parts of our organization. So we give them mini projects, we rotate them to different units. And for good performers and high performers, we have a fast track. So they join at a particular grade, but we give them a jump within a year, within two years, double jumps if needed, so that they become the fast trackers. And the wow. leadership abilities are visible across the organization, right? Uh, we move people to on-site locations like US and Europe pretty quickly. Uh, we think that and we call this program Hexaware Future Leaders Program. So the name itself is an indication of what the goal of this program is to hire these folks from great MBA schools with a technology background. So they come with a business as orientation. They know aspects of an organization and enterprise, but they have a technology background or they hone that skill. And then we are able to rotate them into leadership roles in the future. So how is it different training? someone to be a leader when they're fresh out of school versus training someone to be a leader that's been an individual contributor for a while. And they're like, hey, I want to get into management. What, yeah. What's kind of some of the differences there? So the people we hire are not complete freshers, right? So they have had a couple of years of work experience, either before doing their MBA program or around that. Okay, yeah, The fact yeah. that they come from established uh, tier one kind of MBA programs means that they are management material. Right, because that's what the selection process is like to get into these MBA schools. They have shown some leadership abilities and they understand the business aspect and uh, are able to do problem solving on that scale. And then it's just a matter of giving them the right opportunities. I personally get involved in mentoring them. I, in fact, I am involved in hiring most of them in terms of campus interviews and placements and so on. And then we we do performance reviews every six months. I get involved in that. I think we pay a lot of close attention, not just me, all the leaders in the company in Hexaware see this as a critical underpinning for our future leadership talent. So every one of the management council members is involved in the hiring process, goes to campuses, interviews them, and is involved in, in grooming them. That's awesome. Yeah, that's 
very forward thinking. So what, what are some of the things you look for in these people? Great communication ability. I think we look for attitude, right? Uh, I think that's one of the biggest things, positive attitude and being able to learn and network and present yourself well. And a lot of, I mean, the, everybody has great intellect, right? I mean, great abilities, but how you package it, how you're open to new experiences, how do you take setbacks in stride? I mean, sometimes you may not get the unit or the role you thought while you're doing an MBA that I will become this. It doesn't happen right away. You have to go through a process. And how do you take those learning experiences and become more effective in your role? I think you can sense that. You can sense that with some people who are fast trackers, their ability to be uh, you know, uh, quick, at the same time, be mature and patient. So one question I like asking on the podcast is when you're, so obviously this isn't you directly, but these people that are coming in, when you're new at a company and you are given a leadership role, how do you establish yourself as a leader among your, among your team and your peers? Yeah. And that question probably applies to every level, right? I mean, sometimes you get, I, I think there is an aspect of capability at the same time, there is an aspect of leadership by example. The only way you can get credibility among your peers is by showing that you have what it takes and you can help them, right? Uh, you roll up your sleeves, get involved in a deal or an opportunity, get involved in creating a solution, working on a bid. You throw yourself into it, show that that ability to take things on, take the challenges on. I think others will automatically gravitate to you as a, as a leader, right? Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, leading by example is obviously like the most powerful thing you can do. I mean, yeah, watching someone do something is a lot more powerful than, than hearing them tell you to do that. And Adam, you've seen it in every organization. You became a leader yourself, you said, right? I mean, you worked through this. You, I think you can give somebody a role on a ti- and a title. That doesn't automatically make someone a leader. Right. Right. A leader emerges based on their ability to take ownership, learn, and lead others by example, right? And I feel that if if I see somebody doing it, if I see an individual exhibiting this, I know that person is a future leader, whether or not that person has the title or the level right now or not. And I would like to do whatever I can as a as a leader in the company to groom that talent and to encourage those 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 set of people. That's awesome. So what would you say was like a really impactful lesson that you learned early on in your career from like maybe a, an early failure or challenge that you that you came up against? Yeah, yeah, no that's that's a always some always these failures are the ones which become stepping stones for future success and I have had a few right i mean and i i don't think there's anybody who doesn't right and you yeah. need to learn from it and step step on it to 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 take it forward uh i would say being patient is one of the lessons right you may think you have it you may think that role is yours or but you need to be patient right and sometimes disappointments do happen wait it out right Sometimes you may end up with a wrong boss. 
Sometimes you may not, somebody else whom you think is not qualified may get promoted over you. Uh, sometimes you may end up with a role which you really don't like. But, you know, career is not a sprint. It's a marathon, right? And everybody has a 30, 40-year sort of years ahead of them in terms of the career. Maybe you will do two or three different kinds of careers, right? So you need to have patience. You need to uh, learn with each experience. You need to don't burn bridges, right? While, you know, be patient, don't burn bridges and use every experience as a learning stage in your career growth. And seek out mentors. I think that's the other thing I learned is, you know, always seek out mentors. They may not be in your direct line of, you know, hierarchy, but always seek out mentors in your network. Do you do mentoring um, with, with people at your company? Yes. So the actually, I'm the chief mentor for this management training program. So I do mentor some of these uh, MBAs graduates who come in. And even within my, yes. And even within my own team, I try to seek out potential leadership talent, which may be two or three levels below. But I do make it a point to meet with our high potentials whenever I visit offices or visit different locations. And I try to get to know them, what's going on, what's challenging them, how they are succeeding in what they're doing and how I can help them. What advice do you have for people that are looking to find a mentor? Understand yourself and be open about it. Be humble. And uh, I think people are willing to help if they know it's coming from a genuine place, right? If they see uh, see it as somebody who's just trying to curry favor or, you know, uh, sort of asking too much, then they may not. But if they know that the person is genuine in asking for help and mentorship and uh, is is, uh, really interested in improving, I think people will offer their help. People will uh, automatically say yes. And I I think every one of us as a professional like to do that. We want to pass on our learnings and pass on what we have uh, gained through our experience to people who are on the same track. That was something that I learned when I was in college because I would go to like these business networking events and um, whenever I, I would go, they'd have, they knew students liked to go to these things. So everyone will wear a name tag and the students would have like a special one. And when you walk up to someone and you have a student name tag on, you, that person like immediately smiles and they're like, Hey, I'm so excited that you're here. Like, what are you what are you studying what are you trying to do with your life how can i help you and that was just like a really powerful thing for me like these strangers are just excited because they know that i'm trying to build a future and they want to know how they can help and that was just i, I don't know a really kind of them and absolutely <laughs> and i i'm i not to say that this only extends to students it's just that they knew I was in that position because I was a student. I mean, it's, I feel like as long as you're vocal about like, hey, I'm working on this area of personal growth, that same kind of logic applies that people see that and they're like excited about that and excited to help you. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, uh, I just dropped my son off at college. He's just starting his uh, undergrad. He's a freshman. And recently, and, you know, I went to one of these events where the particular unit, the the school he joined, they're having their session to welcome the freshmen and some of the alumni. 
And you could see a similar spirit of mentorship, right? We met, they saw my son, they sort of offered, the dean was there, the undergraduate dean was there, some of the faculty members were there, the career and placement office people, and almost everybody, and there were some alumni as well, right? Uh, and you could see that that whole aspect of mentorship is what is going to help these students. And they were ready to offer. They came out and said, hey, you should, you know, are you looking at this? How are you looking at internships? If you need to contact me during office hours, uh, you know, so that happens in academia, that happens in student life. And why shouldn't it happen in corporate life, right? Uh, and we are trying to enable that in Hexaware. We, you know, apart from me being one of the mentors for every HFL, we have assigned a mentor who's from a different unit than what they work in so that they can generally, you know, speak about their career aspirations, frustrations, ability to navigate and, you know, uh, figure things out and see what, what makes sense in terms of the career roadmap. And we have that as a first year mentorship and second year mentorship. Wow. That's really cool. And I'm sure that really helps to keep from the, the different parts of your organization getting siloed as well. Absolutely. That is one of the key mod uh, uh, motivators for that. Yeah. That's awesome. So what what's one thing that you're learning right now? Like what's something that's that's challenging you and, and you're le like learning to overcome that? I think it's a lifelong learning process, right? Yeah. Uh, in fact, I just finished a course on AWS cloud certification. So I'm trying to get a little bit more in depth on some of the technologies I'm coming across, right? I'm not a techie as such. I don't do coding. I, I'm not in, involved in the, in the actual, you know, software development process. I do understand what's going on. I have a good view of the trends and what's shaping the business models and consumer requirements. Uh, but it also makes sense to understand some of the underpinnings. So I'm trying to make sure and the technology landscape is changing every minute, every hour, every day, uh, whether it is blockchains. I have invested quite a bit of my own time trying to understand what's going on in the world of blockchain, okay? And how different you know, currencies are there and not just currencies, but things like decentralized finance and so on. So I'm trying to spend some time trying to understand the impact those technologies will have on the future of business, right? And personal lives. Similarly, I'm trying to understand what's going on in the cloud world, the whole digital transformation aspect, right? And how a, things like AI, ML, and trust in technology and how that is shaping up. So I'm trying to spend more time on learning some of these concepts. And that's one of the areas where I'm challenging myself. Uh, and of course, the organization challenges on how to grow, how to groom talent, how to retain talent. That's my other biggest area of focus. Nice. So before we wrap up, there's one thing I, I want to hit on because um, I have it in my notes that you have your own podcast. Can you tell me a little bit about that? That's that's right. That's right. Yeah, I think you <laughs> talked about it in our briefing, right? Um, yeah, so it's a, it's a side hobby. Um, yeah, yeah. It's something which I'm very excited about with what I can do with it in the future. So I just finished one season, 15 episodes. Uh, I've got a pretty funny name for it. It's called What the F's. <laughs> what the f's yes nice. uh, <laughs> and it's it's uh my weekly take in five minutes or around that on fads films finance and fun nice with friends so i'm using these 
these uh, F words, so to speak, <laughs> to create some themes. What I saw was I'm interested in some of these topics, whether it is finance and investing and films and, you know, entertainment. And I'm pretty clued in. COVID has given me, a, everybody, a lot of options to watch and so on. And whenever I have suggested to friends and talked about some of these, they have said, oh, wow, that's great. Right. And they, they've, they've liked it. Similarly, investing tips and finance tips. Right. Uh, not just like trading, but things like what do you do for college education? Right. How do you get, uh, you know, how do you invest in cryptocurrencies? Right. What are some of the retirement options? You know, Roth IRA conversions, things like that. So I've tried to put it in a series of episodes um, in a little bit of a short manner, 10 minutes, five to 10 minutes and put some fun into it. Now I think I, I'm taking a pause because I want to do something like what you're doing, which is invite some guest speakers who can talk on some of these topics and make it more focused on specific franchise, like what the finance, what the film, those kind of things. So um, that's going to be the next season. Awesome. That's really cool. And it's available on all the, all the platforms, Apple Podcast and Google and Spotify and so on. It's what the F single word, what the F's single word. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Check it out. Yeah. Well, uh, before we, before we close, do, any, anything we didn't get to touch on today that you want to make sure we do? Like, are you guys hiring? What do you want to plug for Hexaware? I think it, as I said, Hexaware 3.0, this is an exciting time for us. We are going through some of our biggest transformations right now, becoming a platform company. We need people. We definitely need talented people who believe in the future of technology and how it can impact humankind in all its form. And we are the right place. Uh, I think we are small enough, but we have a great big future ahead of us. We're growing well. So join, come on, join the, join the, uh, the growth story here, right? And thanks for giving us this platform to talk about Hexaware and talk about some of our focus areas and you know how we are uh, changing the world one technology at a time thank you so much for listening and if you found this episode useful please share it with a friend or a colleague who you think would get value from it and if you have topics that you'd like to hear discussed on the podcast either add me on linkedin or send me an email joel at moderncto.io Every time I get an email or LinkedIn message, it absolutely makes my day and inspires me to keep going.